zone. Is it on now? It's on now. No. <laughs> Is it on, Kevin? No, it's not on. Is it on now? Man, I hope it works because I ain't got a voice. Is it on now? Still working? Not working? Is that working? Probably turn me up a little bit, Kevin, because I, I ain't got no voice today. Is that good? Is that good? Is that better? Nothing working? I can't holler today, I can tell you that. This, none of this working? This working? All right, if you have your Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. He'll get it. There you go. I know he'll fix it. Ain't y'all thankful for Kevin? You know, I I know this was last week, but I just got to say it. You know, last week Paul said in chapter 1, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, talking about the church of Philippi. You know, I I thank God for our church. I love y'all. love love being a part of this church. And, uh, you know, the involved with some other things and other churches and all and I go and I'm not downplaying other churches but it's awesome to walk into a church that's alive and and full of <clears throat> young people you know I was thanking the Lord yesterday I was at a men's conference and honestly it was uh, I was one of the younger ones there and uh I just thought God just yeah thank y'all <clears throat> yeah yeah it was wow but I, man, I honestly, I, I sit there thanking the Lord God. Thank you that that our church is is growing, and we got young people, and and got kids coming up, and and you know why? It's because you have reached the next generation, and we're going to continue to reach them. You ought to amen that. So you can't amen that. Go sit in one of them churches for a minute, and see how it goes for you. All right. But I do pray for them, and I, you know, there's a lot of our churches that are struggling because because they miss the next generation. You know, and they miss the whole point. If if a church misses a generation, it missed the whole point of being a church. And and my prayer is that our church will continue. I don't know when the Lord's coming back. Might be, you know, next week. Might be a thousand years from now. But my prayer is that when he comes back, he'll find Cedar Creek Baptist Church thriving. And uh, so I praise the Lord for that. Looking in in uh, Philippians chapter one, starting off in verse twelve. <coughs> Y'all bear with me. I'm going to have to really push just to get this out. Maybe it'll be shorter, amen? So in verse 12, I want to talk to you about an attitude adjustment today, okay? It says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ and most of the brethren In the Lord, having become confident by my chains, thank you, having become confident by my chains, are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. One of the most powerful scriptures ever wrote here. You know, as I was reading this <coughs> this week, I thought the Apostle Paul was such an incredible man. You know, when Paul wrote this letter, he was writing from a Roman prison. So the conditions that he was in at that point in time, he was there uh, because, thank you, buddy. Everybody, everybody looking out for me. Thank you. He was there because of preaching the gospel. Y'all bear with me today. And yet in, in those conditions, when he wrote this book, if you've if you study the book of Philippians, I believe, if I counted it right, it's 19 different times that he uses the word uh, joy, rejoice, or, or tells them to rejoice. He's rejoicing, they're rejoicing, he's, he's telling them, you know, to continue to have joy, that they're his joy under those situations. And so Paul, in, even in his suffering, had such an incredible attitude and an encouraging attitude I want to I'll pull it up here on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 24 through 28. Paul talks about some of the things that he uh, was subjected to because of his sharing the gospel, sharing the love of Jesus. He said, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. It means they could get 39 stripes across the back with a piece of hide or a leather or a whip. So five different times, what would that be, close to 200 stripes on your back. Keep going, sister. <clears throat> three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was, and actually if you'll study the book of Acts, when he was stoned, they stoned him to death. And God raised him to life. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, a night and a day I have been in the deep. Imagine floating out there like a cork waiting on a, a shark to eat you. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among the false brethren. I think he's making a good point. In weariness and toil, sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, cold and nakedness, besides the other things what come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So when you look at Paul's life, it doesn't look like, you know, the average Christian today, not in the United States of America. You know, everything that he is here, this is not just bad things happening to him in life as, as circumstances. These are things that are being brought upon him simply because he continues to want to share the gospel of Jesus. And as I looked at that, I thought, <clears throat> man, as he, as he went through all that stuff, he continued to be full of hope and, and joy and life and, and an encourager. And I just thought, Lord, where, where does that attitude come from? Because, you know, it don't take a whole lot, usually if we're honest, it doesn't take a whole lot for us, a circumstance, an issue to come up in our life that we just kind of totally 
wig out. We're not thinking about the gospel. You know, we might talk to the Lord, but usually it's about our troubles and our trials and our issues, and we just want to get through it and be done with it, much less have a good attitude and continue to courage other people. You know, if we're not careful, uh, self-entitled Americans, we will get a bad attitude really quick. Amen? And so in that, I want to preach to you this morning, hopefully, an encouraging message. You know, last week, I honestly, I got to learn what encouraging is, I guess. Last week, I thought last week's message was an encouraging message. And I got in the car, and I was talking to my wife, and I was like, so what do you think? Was that encouraging? She said, no. It's <laughs> like, are you serious? She's like, no, that wasn't encouraging. You know, she wasn't being negative. She's like, oh, no, we needed that. That was, that was more of a rebuke. I said, a rebuke? I mean, that, that was my encouragement. And so I told her I'm going to preach a little bit today. I'm going to look over at her, and if it's encouraging or not, she's going to go like, mm -mm. <clears throat> I really want to encourage you if you want to know the truth. I want you to hear God's word. I want you to, to leave today with some hope, and maybe this will help you men whose wife have an attitude. So when you look at, when you look at Paul's attitude in this, let, let's be honest. How many of you would rather have a great attitude than a sour one? I'd rather have that myself. I'd rather be around people with a good attitude. You know, I like to have a good attitude in my, in my household, a good attitude in my workplace, good attitude in our church. Nobody wants to be around a bad attitude or a sour attitude. And so we know that that comes from the devil. The devil wants to try to control your attitude, and that just spills out on everybody around us. And so in that, like, Lord, help me to have the right attitude. And so studying this, the key... So Paul's attitude was the impact of the gospel in his life. You know, if you think about this, the love and grace of Jesus hit Paul like a freight train. You look back in the book of Acts, you know, Paul was, <coughs> his, his name was Saul. They later changed it to Paul. But in Acts chapter 9, you know, he was one of them. He was a hyper-religious, zealot, Pharisee. He was full of pride and arrogance. He thought he had everything in his, in his belief system right, and he hated Jesus. He hated Jesus. He hated everybody to do with Jesus. He wanted to stomp out that movement. He was there that day holding the, the coats of the one who stoned Stephen to death, and he just got bitter and angry, and he wanted to be one who he was going to put an end to this thing. And even though he was trying to do it in the name of God, because that's what religion does, religion tries to kill life in the name of God, okay? And so he goes after, and he is literally putting to death, putting Christians in prison, giving consent to their death, taking them before the law and wanting them put to death. So you can imagine, if you, if you want to, if you want to compare him to somebody, Paul was not a whole lot different than Osama bin Laden. And if we would think about Osama bin Laden, most of us would be like, that dude's better off dead. <clears throat> All he was doing, he was wicked. Well, this, this is who Paul was. And yet all of a sudden, out of nowhere, on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to Paul and he calls him up. And basically, here's the thing, Paul, if you read that scripture we want this morning for time's sake, but Paul fell off of his horse, he fell to the ground. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus. It's hard for you to kick against the goads or the pricks. And so in that, Paul, can you imagine... He came to the realization right there with his face in the dirt that the one he had been persecuting and the children of the one he had been putting to death, now he's standing before him figuring out that he is God and that Paul is wrong. 
And if you got any intelligence about you whatsoever, it wouldn't take long to put two and two together. Paul knew he was smoked. He rightfully deserved for God just to crush him, to pour out wrath on him right there. Yet Jesus, in his grace and love, showed Paul mercy, saved his soul, and said, now I'm going to use you for my glory. That kind of love, and here's the thing, every one of us are in that place. You come to the reality of what you really are, and you quit lying to yourself. You just look at who you are compared to the holiness and the righteousness of God. Every one of us deserve to get smoked. Every one of us deserve the wrath of God in our life. We've sinned and, and rebelled and went against God so many different ways in our life, and yet God shows the same love and grace to us, offers it to us. And here's the thing. God's love, if it gets a hold of you, you know it. And that's the very thing that changed his attitude towards life altogether. And it should be the very thing that changes our attitude towards life. You remember Jesus taught the principle, I believe it's in John chapter 7. He said, whoever is forgiven much, loves much. That means if the, if the gospel impacts your life like it has Paul... And you come to the reality and truth to go, God, I know what I deserved, but you showed me so much mercy. And not just mercy not to get what I deserve, but grace to get what I don't deserve. That God's now going to pour out favor and goodness and blessing and, and all of the things he doesn't just keep from, refrain from wrath. He pours out love and kindness for the rest of your life. And in that when, that, when that gets a hold of you, what he means is you recognize how much you've been forgiven. In return, that causes a capacity of your heart to go, I love him so much. You know, here's the thing with God's people. There's some of you, you, just, you was just forgiven just a little bit. That's why you love just a little bit. That's why the gospel hasn't impacted your life. I hope I'm not talking to anybody here. But there are those who they look and go, I never was really that bad. You know, I was raised in church my whole life. Never did, you know, a lot of bad things. Let me, let me clarify this according to the authority of the Scripture. You, along with me, were sorry and wicked to the bone. You deserve the wrath of God in hell for all eternity according to the holiness of God, not according to your own self-righteousness. And if you had died without having come to the salvation that Jesus died to give you, you'd be in hell for all eternity forever and ever and ever right beside Hitler and the rest of them you think are so wicked. So you've been shown that mercy. You just need to grow and understand why Paul says, I want you to grow. What does Paul mean? I want you to grow in the love of God, to understand the depths of his love. The more that you study God's word, I promise you, the closer, if you look at yourself and go, I'm, I'm a pretty good dude, and I, I just need a, you know, a drop or two of the blood of Jesus to save me and, and this and that, but I'm good, you know. I just need a little help, that kind of junk. If you're one of those people, you're not walking with God. Because this is what I know for a fact. The closer you walk with God, the more you struggle with who you really are. The more you see God, and he's not doing this so you feel guilty, but the closer, you know, that you get to something like that, this, if, you're, if you're dark and you get something the closest wide, it magnifies your darkness. If you're, if you're sinful and you get close to holiness, the more it magnifies your sin. But here's the goodness of God. Say, God magnifies being in the presence of the Lord. It's like, <clears throat> it's like remember when, 
when the Lord uh, commanded the great fish catch, Peter was out there fishing, threw the net out, and all of a sudden he hadn't caught no fish, and Jesus said, cast it on the other side, he catches all the fish. What was Peter's response? said he fell down and said, oh Lord, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. He recognized he was in the presence of holiness. And when a person walks closer to the Lord, here's some some encouragement for you, I think. Don't be discouraged because you see how sinful that you're capable of being or reminded of the things you've done. God's not showing you that so that you feel condemned or guilty. God's showing you that so that you draw even closer to go, thank you, God, for grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the sacrifice Jesus made for me. Because of him, I can approach right up to the presence of holiness, and I don't have to be ashamed or guilty. And so in that, the impact of the gospel impacted Paul's life. Paul understood the love and forgiveness of Jesus, and it just captivated his heart and his attitude throughout the rest of his days. So my question is, what impact has the gospel had upon you? Maybe some of you go, what are you talking about the gospel? The fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins was buried in your grave and rose again, paid the full penalty and the judgment for your sins so that you could have forgiveness in life totally 100%. Translated in one moment as one who is a sinner to one who is a son, a saint, a daughter of God, only because of what he did and accomplished for you. Has that impacted your life? I can answer this because your attitude is what shows that. You can say, oh, yeah, it has, but but let your attitude be what tells you how great the gospel has impacted you. Because if it's impacted you, it totally changes everything to do with your attitude towards life, towards other people, towards the Lord, towards your purpose, towards your brothers and sisters in Christ, towards your enemy. It changes everything. And if you don't have a different attitude, it's because you have a low-impact gospel. Think about this. One of the things I've been seeing is the common Christian attitude, and it's totally warped. And I think it's been taught a lot in church over the last several years. But when you look in the Bible, it's not true. The common Christian attitude is that I never do enough. You can never do enough for God. He's never satisfied. I'm always failing in my role and responsibilities. God's upset, and we're never going to get it right. I have to do more and more and more. God's angry. God's always disappointed. I'm always failing. And if you approach God, and that's the devil's attitude. If you approach God in that attitude, you don't understand the love of Jesus. Actually, it says in in the book of 1 John that if you're fearful, you know, if you look forward to the day, I look forward to the day that I stand before Jesus. And I'm going to probably get off and have to cut this short, but. I just want to share this with you. You ought to look forward to, if you're a child of God, the day you see the Lord, the day you stand before the Lord. But there's so many people go, I'm just fearful of that. I just want to make sure I'm ready. I'm not sure that I'm right. I'm like, have you been born again? Have you put your faith and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if you have, this is what I want you to understand. Sin resides in your flesh. Your spirit has been made holy just like Adam was prior to the sinfall where he walked in the presence of God every day and talked and fellowship with God. Jesus restores that in your spirit, man, not in your flesh. So think about this. 
when you fall over dead from a cholesterol heart attack because you've been eating a little Mexico so much, okay, as soon as this body hits the floor, you're not walking into the presence of God with sin. You're walking into the presence of God, a holy, righteous, blood-bought, fully redeemed son of God. You're looking at your daddy. That's who he is. And we ought to be like, I look for, the Bible says, perfect love casts out fear. You need to understand what perfect love is. Perfect love is a father who loved you so much he accomplished everything for you. And what you receive in your salvation is an inheritance. You're not trying to perform. You're not trying to work your way in good saying. You're not trying to get it right. And then when you fail, God's angry and God's upset. That's, that would give anybody a terrible attitude. I would have the attitude all the time that, I, that God's upset and, and I'm, a, I'm a failure and I can't ever get it right and so I might as well give up and just be who I really am. Whereas if you understand the gospel and you grow in the love and grace of Jesus, you figure out this, you know what, he really does love me. Some of you who struggle with love, and I know there's a lot of us who struggle with receiving love. I know who a lot of you are because I can go, hey man, I love you and you're like, you're pretty good too. You don't, you, don't give it, you don't give it back. You know why? And I'm okay if you say that. You don't give it back. You know why? You can't receive it. You can't give back what you can't receive. And you've had a hard time your whole life. Maybe your mom and daddy didn't show you that kind of love. Maybe they didn't communicate love. Maybe your, I don't know, maybe your spouse, whatever it is, maybe all through your life, you never really had nobody who tried to love you. You know, there for a long time, I really struggled. I was the one who struggled, and sometimes I still do, just receiving love. And then God brings some fool like Willie Williams into your life who just refuses to let it go. You know, Willie used to come, I first started off, I've been, the brother's been my best friend 20 years, and, and he started coming to church, and man, he just, he whacked me out, if you know the truth, because the first thing he starts doing is hugging on me. I'm like, I have a circle, very big circle. I don't do hugging. Then, you know, he violated that circle constantly. And just always loving, brother, love you, brother. I'm like, yeah, man, you're pretty good too. <clears throat> you be on what? But God used that to just continue to soften my heart, and I learned to begin to receive that and believe. I truly believe that brother loves me. He's shown me that his whole life. And God uses those kind of things. And you know, really, as a church, that's what we should be here for. People who come in off the streets who don't know Jesus, they don't understand that kind of love. Now, I'm not telling you to go around hugging everybody. But here's what I'm saying. We should be able to communicate love so that after somebody's been here at least a few times, they walk out and go, you know, it might make me uncomfortable, but I, those people do love you. I understand what it means, to, what love looks like now. And if you understand that God really loves you, think about this. He was willing to give up everything for you. Every. Now, I'm not just talking about church people here. If you're here, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you're living a godless rebellious, Jesus-hating, Bible-unbelieving life, Jesus gave up everything for you. He loves you right now in the place you are in life unmeasurably, unconditionally. He went to the cross for you as you are right now because he loves you, wants to forgive you, wants to bring you into his family, wants to give you life, pour out his goodness, pour out his favor, pour out his blessings, give you guidance and wisdom, protect you, keep you, provide for you, and take you home one day. That's what he's done for you. 
Say, what, why in the world wouldn't I receive that? I don't know. Because you struggle with receiving love. God's not looking for your performance. God's not looking for you to do better, try harder. God's looking for you to believe Jesus. Think about this. You need to come to the place where you go, you know what? Here's what the Bible teaches. The gospel teaches, I am forgiven. Say, well, I still sin. What happens if I don't listen to me? We're talking about your position. Prior to coming to the cross of Jesus Christ, we positionally, as far as our identity, we are sinners. We sin because we are sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because it's our heart and we loved it. At the moment that the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, does a work in you to open your eyes and to hear the voice of God calling you, and you choose to go, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want God to, I want to be right with the Lord. I'm trusting in Jesus. At that moment, you are translated right then, positionally, from a sinner to a son or a daughter. That's what it means. I was born again. Okay? It wasn't some church thing. It was a spiritual thing that God did inside of you that permanently translates you into the kingdom of God. You're no longer a citizen of this world. You no longer face the judgment and wrath of God. You are beloved. You are holy, righteous, blameless in his love, in his sight, unconditionally in Christ Jesus. I I defy anybody to disprove that according to the scripture. That's what his love has accomplished for you. And some of you believers, all you believers need to come to a place. I think you need to wake up every morning before you start with an attitude and go, I'm forgiven. Oh, and the devil's going to go, oh, but you remember what you did yesterday? I'm forgiven. You know what I did that went against what my mom and dad taught me? I ain't going to tell you. (laughs) But, buddy, I promise you, it's a list a mile long. You know what? I'm still Randy and Shirley Reeves' son. That never changed. Never changed. And the more that I understood how much my mom and dad loved me and how much their, their ways were so much higher than my ways and wiser than my ways and their ways produced good for me and the things that they was trying to keep me from brought harm to me. The more that I grew in the depth and the knowledge of their love for me, the more I wanted to do what they wanted to do, the more that I understood their love for me, the more that I walked closer to them. Now I want to honor them. It's what God gives you good parents for because it conveys his message to you. You kids will get that one day. And God's kids ought to get it one day to go wake up and go, you know what, Jesus really loves me. I know I'm just saying this, but I don't think some of you get that. I just want you. If I don't get nothing else out of this message, I just want you. If you have trouble with that, go stand at the foot of the cross. And just listen to what he speaks like I'm here because of you. Because I wanted to come here. I chose to come here. I chose to leave everything in glory. I chose to lose everything in this world for one thing, you. That's how much he loves you. Let that impact your life and your attitude. You know, another thing he said, and that's how much I love the people that you have an attitude with. Amen. So you didn't have to go there. <clears throat> Look at this real quick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish this. I'm not saying look at me, wipe my nose. 
Our attitude is a reflection of our love and our gratitude towards Jesus. You know, here Paul was, was talking about, he used the word, these things have happened to me. There was a whole lot of these things that was happening to Paul. We just read a list of them. He's in prison. But he wasn't concerned about these things. You know, here's the thing. If I don't understand the love that Christ has for me and for others, when these things happen in my life, I'm going to let it consume and direct my attitude and the outcome of my days and my weeks and my months and my years. But Paul wasn't concerned. He didn't consider his troubles, his persecutions, or how others were treating him, you know, as a wine session. Oh, what's me? This is happening. This happened. You ever been in a, in a prayer request group? We have one every Wednesday night. If we were honest, most of the time when they say, do you have a prayer request? What do you think about? First thing you do is you start searching. You go, do I have any troubles? Am I going through any trials? Do I have any problems? Do I have anything like this bad happening to me? Oh, yeah, I lost my job. And you got the one who always has to outdo you. Oh, but I have a, a disease. And then another person over here, oh, well, this is, you know, we're, our family's falling apart. And all of a sudden, those are the things that become to weigh on you. You're talking. It's okay to talk to the Lord about it. It's good. Okay, listen to me. That doesn't identify you. And it doesn't have to control your attitude each day. Paul looked at those things as obstacles and snares. Remember, you're in a warfare, and Satan's going to bring as many obstacles and many issues and as many snares in your life as he could possibly do to shut you up from furthering the gospel. Yet Paul was so full of gratitude and love, he just wanted more and more people to hear about Jesus. Think about it, he was in a prison. He wasn't sitting there writing a letter. You don't read the letter that he wrote and go, well, it must be nice, y'all out there, I'm in here. I'm suffering for the gospel. Y'all the ones who got saved. When's the last time y'all came and visited me? None of y'all wrote me a letter. Y'all ought to be praying for me. That sounds like an average church. Yet Paul was encouraging them. He was like, y'all pray for me because I got a prison guard chained to me, and I'm going to put the gospel on this dude. He was looking at the opportunities that his afflictions was producing. Is this making sense? Our attitude is our witness of Jesus. Our witness of Jesus isn't just knocking on doors and presenting a program. It's the attitude that you portray each day when you have these things going on. One of the things you'll learn through this scripture is that we're all going to have those things happening. There's going to be times where you spend a week in the hospital with a baby. There's going to be times where somebody hits the rear end of your car. Can you see how the Holy Spirit just orchestrated this? Who hits the back end of your car and you've got to have an insurance claim. There's going to be times where you come home and you don't know the person you're married to because they done wigged out that day. Come on, let's be real. There's going to be times where your kids call you, sometimes hopefully not, but maybe from a jail. Dad, I got something I got to tell you. I'm like, this is not going to be a good day for you. Every one of us, we're not exempt. Actually, we're more prone as Christians to have these things going on. But here's the thing. That's the opportunity for you to show Jesus more than ever. Because here's the thing. You can, either, you can either be, is there anybody here that doesn't have these things happening right now? Nobody. Everybody, if I was to say, give me something to complain about, whew, it, would, it would be like a fire going through. You could say, this and this happened to me, this and this happened to me, this, this, this is what's going on, this is just happening, this is what I'm looking for, this week, this week, my boss, 
my employees, people I said to friend, people on Facebook. We, man, we can nail it. The economy, politics. We can go through there and you can go, all right, we know we got that going on. Can anybody tell me about the goodness of God today? That ought to, that ought to go like a flame. Because there's two constants. There's always a constant, these things. But man, there's always a constant goodness of God. And you have a choice. This is what your attitude is. You have a choice to go, I'm going to focus on these things. I'm going to let them consume me. I'm going to let this frame my attitude and my conversations and my impact on all the people around me so that they don't want to be around me. Or I'm going to like, you know what? These things always happen. I'm going to let the Lord take care of these things. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to just focus on the goodness of God in my life every day, every day. Don't tell me there's no goodness of God. Don't be so blinded that you can't see the love and the goodness of God in your life every day. I'll, I'll finish over this. I'll cut it. But here's, here's where I want to finish. <clears throat> so I got a friend. Careful how I use this illustration. I'll just, I got a friend who took his wife and his son to a doctor that we recommended, Dr. Morgan over in, over in Jacksonville. I said, did you take your wife and your, and your boy to, to the doctor? He's like, yeah, $525 later. I was like, all right, you know, it costs things to do things. How, what about their health? And he talked to her a little bit. And later that day, somebody else was talking. He said, yeah, I went to, I took my wife and son of the doc, doctor this week, $525. I said, would you rather pay for a funeral? You know, there are people who would gladly, probably in this crowd, go, I'd drop 525 to get mine back. I'd drop 1000 for one more day. I'd drop ten grand not to have to go through chemo. You've always got some other situation coming up that could be in your lap, yet the goodness of God, you can look up and go, I might be broke, but buddy, I'm healthy, I'm awake, I have a wife, I have my kids, I've got, you know, you've got a husband. <laughs> I'm a born-again believer, and though the world fall apart and the mountains melt, Jesus has got me, and I'm alive, and I'll be alive forevermore. There's so many things that you can choose to let that guide your attitude. And here, Paul's like, let me give you this real quick. I've got to quit. Romans 8, 18. Notice what Paul says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I just want to try to to capture your mind this morning and go, I realize that you've probably got a lot of trouble and a lot of trials and a lot of things going on. And I'm not belittling that. But I also realize you've got a lot of blessing and a lot of goodness and a lot of hope and a lot of potential going on you realize that you can carry your troubles in the presence of Jesus and when you do, troubles melt away. You have a God who loves you and cares for you in the suffering that you are. You know why Paul was so confident in a prison cell? Because just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fire, there was a fourth one in the fire, there was another one in that jail cell with him. And there was another one in the hospital room last week. And there's another one that's in the place where you're at. Choose to look at him and choose to receive the love and the hope that he gives you. You can either go through life in misery and make everybody else miserable. Or you can choose to go, you know what, I'm just going to choose to believe Jesus. 
and I'm going to walk with him, and I'm going to let him have my attitude and mold my life each day. And if you want to finish up, we will finish up next week. But you'll see that in that, that's where people see Jesus. It's easy for everybody to have a good attitude when the Cowboys are winning. I'm not going to go into that, all right? Chris Holm probably ready to choke me. But listen to me. When things are going on bad and nothing's going right in your life, listen to me. Just like those prison guards are watching Paul, there's people watching you. They know you're a Christian. You've done said it. They know you go to church. You've done invited them. And now all of a sudden, what about when this happens or that happens? What about when you experience the misery that they experience? Here's the thing. When you choose to not give in to the attacks of the body and you battle in the spirit, just like Paul said, even in everything, let Christ be magnified. That's when people see Jesus the most. If you've ever witnessed that, it's one of the most powerful things when you see a person suffering. When you see somebody who's burying somebody close to them, when you see somebody that's in a hospital with a horrendous diagnosis and yet they're smiling and they're like, you know what, God's in control. Just trust Jesus through this. You know, one of the things I saw, Miss E. Toysiga went through cancer and she had such a great attitude. The Lord's spirit was all over. Anybody around her was going to see that. Sometimes God chooses us, whether you like it or agree with it or not, sometimes God chooses us to go through sufferings and trials because people need more than to just hear a preacher. They need to see Jesus. So with that, I'm going to have to stop right there. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, listen to me, please. Please don't don't pass that opportunity up. God loves you so much, wants to give you life. He'll save you right where you are. It's not about you walking down in the front of the church. You don't have to walk down in front of the church. You don't have to tell anybody here what happened. If God's dealing with you right now and you're like, I am that sinner you're talking about and I want to be forgiven. I want to receive God's mercy and grace. I believe that Jesus died for my sin, rose again on my behalf. Right there where you are, tell God. He'll save you right where you are, give you life, and you'll be translated before you walk out the door. God will walk you through the door of his glory. If you're here today and you've got a bad attitude, put your eyes on Jesus. Change your attitude. Change people's life around you. Will you stand with your head about and your eyes closed? <coughs> Lord, I love you. I thank you so much that you love us. Thank you, Jesus, every day, God, you pursue us. Lord, when we're at our worst and we're, and we're at our worst attitudes, God, you continue to pursue us and encourage us to speak life and to speak hope to us. God, I pray we'd be a people who learn to receive, to walk in your love, to walk in your grace. Understand that that's our victory. You've already won that victory over us. And for us, God, I know the devil wants to just try to continue to put our eyes on all the things that's going on in this world. God, I pray we quit preparing for the funeral of the world and we start focusing on the resurrection of Jesus. God, I pray that we would be people who are alive, full of hope, full of joy. That even in the, in the times where we go through struggles, that our hope and our, our, our witness is that we just want to further the gospel. We want more and more people to know the hope that we have because of you. Father, I just pray you do a great work here in people today. In Jesus' name, amen.